Jackie Tan and welcome to the Bodies Built Better podcast. On the show, we chat with experts, athletes, coaches and authors to educate and inspire you. We explore the body's incredible ability to heal, adapt and evolve so you can crush limitations, reconnect your body and mind and discover your extraordinary potential. Today on the show, I chat with dancer, choreographer, and director Gabrielle Nankavel. Her work has been widely presented across Australia and all over Europe and Asia. One of her commissioned pieces back in 2018 was a piece called Surge for Dance North Australia, and it was performed at the Gold Coast 2018 Commonwealth Games and was described as thrilling in the way it combines the energy of sport and the beauty of dance. She's been nominated for several awards, including the Helpman Award for Best Choreography in Ballet, Dance or Physical Theatre Production, and the Adelaide Critics Circle Individual Award for Split Second Heroes. In 2020, she's developing a piece called Future History, a solo born from her 2019 Arts South Australia Fellowship Research and Sightings, a site-specific performance making model in collaboration with Vital Statistics. And if you thought that would be easy, she's doing that whilst recovering from injury. Her first major injury and surgery in her 20 plus year dancing career. She's incredibly wise and down to earth. And as she's navigating 2020, she was kind enough to chat with me today, a raw and real interview of what it's like to be a performer today. Enjoy this episode with Gabrielle Nankabel. Gabrielle, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I'm super excited to chat because Growing up, I did a little bit of dance and obviously now I work with a lot of performers and I, I know how hard you guys work and I have so much respect for you in the industry. But before we get into that, can you give us a bit of background on you and when and where it all started? Sure. Um, yep. Hi. <laughs> uh, this is this is actually really nice. This is nice to do because I know you in a really different context because, you know, um, yeah, you've given me some amazing massages. So it's nice to actually yeah. have a chat. It's nice. Um, so, yeah, I, I work in dance and that's a fairly, it's a fairly diverse sort of field. Um, I have worked in lots of different kinds of dance, but primarily I work in contemporary dance. Uh, so I trained, I trained as a ballet dancer uh, and my first job was a ballet job. But uh, generally since then, most things I've done would fall under the category of contemporary dance. Uh, as a choreographer and a director, I work in um, contemporary dance, but also in theatre and sometimes in film. Um, and I guess I, I do a lot of collaborative projects that involve lots of different kinds of artists. So I guess from some from some side, uh, more the area that I work in is uh, like conceptualizing an idea and then working with a bunch of people to realize it. So sometimes, yeah, how to categorize what the actual outcome is is a little more tricky. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I had a very conventional training. So I, uh, I trained in classical ballet and 
I went to a full-time ballet school and I then went to university where uh, I did a dance course, but this was also in the 90s and dance courses have evolved a lot since then. So um, the kinds of styles and influences uh, that were in the course that I did were perhaps uh, sort of more linked to really specific techniques. Um, whereas these days, a lot of people come to work in universities who kind of mix and blend a lot of things and they're more artists practicing perhaps in the industry than working in a specific technique so the approach I think is a little bit different and what's sort of needed as a performer in the industry now compared to when I was you know training has also slightly changed uh, so yeah so I had a very very sort of um, you know stock standard kind of entry into the thing and then I basically graduated from uni I didn't actually even graduate from uni. I missed the graduation ceremony because I got on a plane and uh, went to Europe and it was meant to be sort of just for a little, see what it's like because I had a, uh, I'd been awarded a fellowship. Otherwise I would never have been able to afford to get on a plane at the end of the nineties and go to Europe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then I sort of discovered actually that there was a whole lot more to my art form than I really had any idea about because this was sort of prior to there really being uh, internet in wide usage so what I knew of dance uh, outside of Australia was based on some pretty you know rusty old VHS's from the from the library <laughs> and stuff like that so um, a lot of my education in terms of uh, learning about my art form and getting to experience it from a physical perspective was more through just sort of experimenting and trying everything that came within you know a couple of meters of me <laughs> so um yeah sort of like yeah learning by um experiencing experiencing yeah yeah, yeah. incredible there must have been a huge eye opener what what challenges yeah. came with that well it's kind of interesting because i think i think one of the things that retrospectively was really beautiful about going going to a place that I didn't have a very good idea of and didn't have much information on and sort of fumbling around in the dark trying to figure it out meant that actually like there's a certain kind of um, naivety that comes with that and also yeah like a, a sort of openness and a curiosity and your awareness is just kind of different in having that experience and I feel like that that for me is something that's been really uh instrumental in the the attitude I have towards my work sort of since then it kind of like built something into me that's about how I work creatively and I feel like now the world has changed so much in the last 20 years that um, that's something that I kind of feel like that certain particular kind of naivety that comes with the world not being as as open and accessible as it is now um, that people miss out on. Like, it's like, you know, with all the social media and everything we have, you, even if you're going on a holiday, like you can research it and you can see a thousand pictures and there's like, you know, a gazillion posts on Instagram of like the view from this place or whatever. So you already have a real clear, somewhat clear kind of aesthetic idea maybe of where you're going. Or if you're a dancer in Australia and you, uh, you know, you've looked at 10 billion videos of European dance companies and artists and you sort of, you know what you like, you know what you want to maybe go and try and do, you want to know where. And in some ways that's really great because it's, uh, 
you know, it's economical, <laughs> you can plan, you can like be more strategic, but there's something about the like, the super unknown that I feel like we've lost over time. That's something that when I was first doing that, I feel like was really, um, yeah, like left a really big impression on how, how I am. Yeah. As an there's, artist. There's so. More purity to that. As a it's just different. I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't know that either one is better. I just kind of mm. retrospectively really appreciate the sort of um, the experience I had of the unknown. And yeah. that's an experience that I feel is very different for people these days. Do you think as students now, as performers can take that a little bit for granted with the amount of access that they do have, I guess, to, I guess the outside world of university or, or training? Yeah, uh, I don't know. It's it's hard to say because it's just so, It's it sort of depends on the person. Like some people really, you know, they really look and they discover. So it's sort of like maybe maybe in that there's a sense of discovery and of finding out the unknown, but you do it from one place looking through a screen through like that sort of, you know, that's the mode rather than going out and wandering around and, you know, Um, so some people will naturally seek and they will look, they will look for stuff that they find inspiring and they'll spend lots of time kind of, yeah, investigating. And then other people, even though that's at their disposal, they, they won't or they'll see one thing they like and they'll set their mind on that and, you know, and go for that. But I guess, yeah, I, I don't know. It's also, I think sometimes the way, you know, what we put into the, what goes, what goes onto the internet or goes out into the world via social media is such a, it's such a curated thing also, you know, people really, they show what they want to show and they don't show all the other kinds of things. So also sometimes I think this leads perhaps to like a, mm, a particular kind of reality for someone who's looking for something, they see something and they understand it as this because that's all they're shown, but maybe it's actually different. Um, And that's the thing you still can't do without actually going and being, you know, in that, but Yeah. yeah. So I don't, I don't really know. To go back to your question, I don't know where people take, you know, like um, are a bit sort of, uh, yeah, I, I, it's, yeah, that's, that's, a really, that's a really hard one because I think it's up to the individual as to how, how much they take advantage of that or don't. Yeah. Is there a, an experience of, of that time for you that's kind of a, a memorable one for you to go, oh, if it weren't for that, I wouldn't have, you know, done this or think this way or, you know, evolved in oh, this wow. way. Oh, there's probably a lot actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's really cool. Yeah. There's, I, think, I feel like there's probably a few, like, um, you know, if I hadn't, I kind of, I flew when I booked my ticket for the first time, you know, I, flew on a plane from Australia to Frankfurt. And the reason that I flew to Frankfurt was A, because that was one of the cheapest places to fly to. Um, It's also like I knew a company there called the Frankfurt Ballet, which uh, was directed by William Forsyth. And this was something that was part of my, you know, education. I, I sort of vaguely knew about this. So I knew that there was dance in Germany and that there was dance in Frankfurt. So it seemed a logical kind of entry point <laughs> um, to go to. But in the end, you know, like I didn't actually, 
I didn't go anywhere near that company because I was also like, oh, but they're so big and it's, you know. Um, oh, sorry, I totally forgot where I was going with that. What was your question again? How did you evolve? Like, are there specific memories or instances in, in, that, in that first part of leaving and traveling overseas that really helped you grow or have just been pivotal points for you in your, your career? Yeah. So I went to, the first place I went to was Germany and I went to Frankfurt partially because that was an affordable port to enter Europe, partially because I knew of Frankfurt because of the Frankfurt Ballet. Um, But actually, you know, when I got there and ended up not really spending any time in Frankfurt and I wandered around lots of other places um, and made my way to the Black Forest because one of the things I really wanted to do was climb a mountain, see snow and eat a Black Forest cake in Schwarzwald. (laughs) (laughs) So that was sort of like, you know, had nothing to do with the dancing side of things, but for some reason that was really important for me. Um, But actually moving around and seeing lots of stuff, I sort of was also like, oh, I don't really know what to do with a lot of what I'm seeing because I'm not really connecting with it. And even though my first jobs were in Germany, I also didn't necessarily connect so deeply with those things. But while I was living there, I saw a bunch of different performances that had all been made by artists who were based in Belgium. And so I uh, was like, wow, that's amazing. I really love that work. I have no idea how to be that kind of performer because it's distinctly different from what I am, but I really feel connected to this work and I want to do that. So a friend of mine that I was working with suggested I apply for a scholarship to a dance festival that happens in Vienna which I knew nothing about and went, okay, cool, I'll do the application. And then by some stroke of luck, I got accepted into this thing. So I went and spent the summer in this program, uh, which is called Dance Web, which is now very, very well known. But back then it was sort of not particularly well known, even though it was a big, you know, a really big event. And I met lots of other people who were artists that were working in Belgium and I saw more work from Belgium. And it was kind of that moment of kind of knowing I liked what was coming out of this country or Brussels in particular. Um, But up until then, I'd been too scared to go and try and enter into that because I was like, oh, but it feels like I wouldn't have any of the right skills or I wouldn't know how to do that. But then by going to Vienna and getting to know some people who were from there and seeing more about the work and understanding that I could actually, I wasn't a fully formed dancer and I could change, you know, and I I could learn maybe what was more me (laughs) I finally kind of uh I guess you know got up the courage to actually go to Belgium and be like okay right I'm I'm in Belgium now I'm going to try and do this and yeah it was like an overcoming a fear thing or something because I was scared that I might go there and not not actually be able to I don't know get a job with any of these cool people (laughs) or like you know do a do that kind of work that I really felt like I really wanted to actually do so yeah, it was a bit of a like, bit of a strange process of getting there. But actually, I don't know, for me in the early days, like, although I was very open to giving anything a go, and I was trying lots of different things, actually, the things that I really felt super deeply about or felt were more important, took a lot more work to actually build up the courage to approach. Absolutely. Because when you care so deeply about something, either the, <laughs> yeah. the, the rejection or the failure of it, uh, hurts yeah. way more than all the stuff that you don't really care about. How yeah. long were you doing or how long did it take in that situation once you'd 
finally got there. Um, you know, when you started training in, in that way and like, how long did it take for you to feel like you were, you were that type of dancer then, if that makes sense? Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't know that I, I think what, what actually probably was the case was that I, I was already that type of performer. I just didn't know it. And so I had to do a lot of undoing of a lot of things that had been really, you know, trained into me that this is what a dancer is. This is what a dancer looks like. This is how a dancer behaves. This is what they should be able to do. So I had to actually just kind of break away some of the stuff that made me look like a dancer or be like a dancer because actually the thing that was really like so exciting about these performers and works that I was attached to that had been coming out of Belgium was because not only are they people who are you know a lot of the people that I'd been seeing they're not just fantastic um, movers who seem capable of like so much diversity in what they do they're really uh, fabulous performers where you really feel the people and you feel the personality and that's something that especially coming from like um, the kind of conventional training that I'd had the hierarchy was more about, um, you know, technique and athleticism over, over that sort of stuff that is maybe more sort of the blurry area of what makes a good performer. Mm. Um, yeah. And so, in a, in a way, in the beginning when I was trying to get, or I was going to auditions and, you know, for these kinds of jobs, I think people weren't necessarily interested in me because they, they saw this very capable dancer, but they didn't see who the person was. So until I could figure out how to break down enough that I could actually be um, something that was more multifaceted and could, you know, the expression could come through in different ways or that I could kind of, I don't know, be malleable and be one thing, but also be another thing, but also be another thing. Um, I didn't really get work until I'd kind of got rid of the facade. Mm, that sounds like a very vulnerable process yeah I guess in some ways although for me it was more like actually um becoming more natural or something you know like sort of breaking down this kind of facade of what I thought I should be or maybe what the kind of I don't know I'd been led to believe Mm. a dancer was or something because I don't know really what a what a dancer is because a dancer is so many things but I think back then I thought dancer was a particular thing yeah yeah take us through preparation for a performance and I know that's such a huge (laughs) question like like you know from what context do we talk about the the performer or the director the choreographer but um yeah do you know what? I'm going to let you take this. <laughs> you answer it however you, you want to answer it as, as a director or a choreographer or a performer. Take us through the yeah. preparation. Uh, I mean, it's a very, again, you say context. Context is a really, a really big thing because um, how I prepare for a performance as a director or a choreographer and how I prepare as a performer are kind of quite different, although sometimes I'm also the director and the performer at the same time. So therefore it's like a horrible juggling act. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I think, 
you know, it also depends whether the show is something that uh, is like about to premiere, so you're coming out of a creation period, or whether it's something that's, um, you know, already been performed a few times and you're touring it or it's a remount, like the way into all of those things is slightly different. Also creating work, uh, you know, with companies that already exist or creating work independently, the lead up to a performance actually hitting the stage is very different and the timelines can be really different. So to give you an example, if I, if I make a work independently and it's a full length evening piece, it may take four years for it to get from, you know, the first application that I write through a number of stages of development because the amounts that I can apply for are smaller. So therefore the development periods are shorter. They might only be one week or two weeks. Um, and then to finally get it to actually having a season and just sort of all of the, you know, the combination of uh, creativity and bureaucracy together means that can be a very lengthy process. Whereas if I'm commissioned uh, by a company to make a work, then all of that is going on in the background with the organisation who are sort of resourcing the project. And then my role might actually be to only come in for a really limited period. So, you know, three weeks, four weeks, something like that, to work with the artists, generate a piece, rehearse the piece, get it to the stage. So it's a much more condensed, um, high-pressure sort of situation in terms of time. Um, so the getting something to the stage has different pathways. Uh, and then as a performer, it also depends a bit what the work is, what the kind of uh, show it is. If, if it's something that's more like that's really highly demanding um, from an athletic point of view or the physicality is really intense, then you might, um, you usually have a rehearsal period leading up to the performance and it's sort of during that period that you are building the stamina for that particular show. So uh, dancing is one of those weird things that you can be a full-time dancer that's dancing every day or and your, your work day might be eight hours, but if you then change from one week to the next week and you're working with a different choreographer and their, their approach and their style and the kind of physicality is different, you sort of go through the whole process of getting like really sore and really tired. And, yeah, you know, it's conditioning. like, yeah, it's such a big change because dance is so, mm -hmm. is so various. So the preparation for a performance is usually really um, specific to that performance and then underlying all of that there's kind of a general level of uh, sort of you know fitness and conditioning and um, mobility and stuff that you want to kind of be sort of generally working on but the reality as a freelance artist is that you often also spend a lot of your life doing administration and doing uh, you know writing applications and doing all this kind of thing so actually I might do periods where I hardly move at all and I'm chained to my computer. Um, and that kind of on off thing of being really physical and then really not physical and then really physical again, that's also a different kind of challenge for the body. So there's sort of lots of different ways that it works um, in the lead up to an actual performance. I, I find the performance aspect so interesting because I mean, obviously here in Adelaide, one of our biggest festivals is, is the Adelaide Fringe. And during that time is the Adelaide Festival. And, um, and working with so many performers, you, you're watching them perform at 
every night for like five, six, seven, actually seven, seven days, uh, sorry, six days a week and, and one day off. And so to me, that's just mind blowing. I mean, you know, as, as an athlete, if you're a runner or you play sport, you get to train in, in the week, but you're, you're measured in what you're doing. And then on the weekend, you perform at a hundred percent, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, backing it up every, every night is, is incredible. So I'd really love to dive deeper into that performance aspect for you. Like how many shows in the past have you done where it's been like one every week and what is it, what does your recovery look like? Um, you, you talked a bit about your prep just then, but you know, how do you even manage that mental side and an emotional side? Because I mean, you have to be switched on, on, you know, performance. And then, I mean, that would take so much out of you. How do you, how do you recover well enough mentally and emotionally to then <laughs> back it up that, that next night or even like into the evening if you've done an afternoon show? Yeah, double show days are really hard. They're <laughs> really, really hard. <laughs> um, Oh, it's such a, yeah, that's such a tough question. Because, I know there's a lot in that question. <laughs> yeah, because it's sort of like um, in, in some ways, sometimes like when you're on a performance schedule and you're doing the, the output of doing a performance, of course, is, is huge, but you also get a lot back when you're performing as well. So there's a whole lot that you you know, for me, the experience of performing is something where um, it's, it's, it's a part of working for me. So, you know, the way that you work in a studio is particular, but then, you know, the only way that you can work in a, you can work in a studio is by working in a studio. The only way you can work in performance is by working in the performance. So I kind of see them as really similar things. And in my work, I'm, I spend a lot of time trying to kind of, you know, make the work that happens in the studio be more heightened and maybe make the, the work that happens on the stage be more present so that they kind of go a little bit like... Um, they, they level out a little bit because a lot of emphasis gets put on the performance is the more important thing, but they're just kind of different learning environments in a way, because you learn so much about, you know, your body, the other people that you're performing with, the performance itself, your relationship with the audience. Um, there's a whole lot of information to take in during, during a performance. So it's a two way street. It's like as much as is coming out of me is coming back into me. So, um, so in a way that's also really, uh, that, that feeds a lot and it's quite energizing and it's really interesting and it's a part of my work. It's a part of my practice. Um, so in that way, sometimes also if that's what you're doing, even though like, uh, the energy output might actually be like, you know, more than in a studio. There's something about it that's kind of uh, more gen regenerative or something than when you're doing an eight hour day, day in, day out in the studio. So, um, so yeah, it's, I guess that's why I find it something that's really, mm, it's a really useful, interesting 
time for me. So it's not harder than being in the studio, if that makes sense. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, they're kind of, they're, they're totally different, but they're yeah. also similar yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, in some ways. And so I suppose like, yeah, I suppose there's things around the physiological side of it where you may have to, you know, like if I'm doing a lot of performances back to back, I've got to be really, um, you know, I've got to make sure that I, that I eat enough and I eat the like good things and that I, you know, get enough liquid so I don't get dehydrated and that I also like, I need more, I need more rest because, you know, your body's regenerating while you're sleeping. So it's kind of like, you know, that's sort of important. So it can get really taxing and hard if you're on a schedule where it's like do a show, get up early the next morning to travel to another place to bump in and do a show. That sort of schedule can be really physically taxing because you actually don't get enough rest. And sometimes if you're on tour also like the food you're getting in can be a bit random. It's like whatever you can get your hands on. So it's maybe not as fueling as you would want it to be. Mm. Um, Yeah. So it's, yeah, again, there's kind of like, it depends on the kind of scenario, the context of where the show is happening as to, you know, how you kind of manage it. So I guess like, I don't really have, I don't really have a routine because every show is different and every scenario of performing is different. Even if it's like, you know, it might be a season of five shows, um, but that's different to another different show that you do a season of five shows or a show you take on a regional tour. um, It might be a very different kind of regional tour. There might be a lot more days in between performances or it might be one where they're really back to back. So they're kind of different experiences as well. So I guess I just kind of uh, try and be, try and be a bit perceptive to what's going on in any kind of scenario and, and judge what I need in terms of preparation or um, yeah, or recovery according to the, the, whatever the show is or whatever the context is, because they change so much. That's so interesting because of that. I mean, that, that's a lot of conditioning there. So <laughs> would you say in your everyday life, you're, you're not a routine person because that's the way you've kind of grown um, and lived? Or do you think when you're outside of that environment, you do have a strict routine? No, I think I'm really not a routine person. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I didn't think that. I think, yeah, I think my routine is change, actually. Or like up until yeah. this year, 2020, really throwing a spanner in the works. But, um, yeah. well, but biggest up until change now, ever. The biggest, yeah, like, yeah, maybe. Um, but I think regular kind of, you know, whether that's like, changing the kinds of things that I'm working on. It might be changing the, the hours of the day. Like sometimes mm. I'm, I'm working in a situation where I'm working in the night. Sometimes I'm working in the day. Sometimes it's spread out all over the place. Sometimes it's, you know, super intense. Um, sometimes I'm, you know, traveling for, you know, three months at a time going to a different place every few days. Sometimes I go somewhere to be somewhere for a month. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of change. You're just, <laughs> Usually, you're incredibly adaptable. Yeah, I think it's that's kind of having to be adaptable is built yeah. into that version of of doing the thing. What do you tell yourself, or how do you get yourself pumped up 
when really you're just, you're not feeling it? Uh, music. Yeah. Yeah. It's usually music when I'm not feeling it. It's particularly if it's like you're really tired and you've got to do a show and you're not feeling it. Being able to like, you know, hook your phone up to the theatre PA and pump out something really loud and really awesome, that helps a lot. <laughs> What's your go-to? For a while there, it was sort of, um, it was usually, well, there's one, one significant tour I remember, which was when the, when Daft Punk's Random Access Memories album came out, was that album? Um, a couple of years ago, there was, uh, there was a few tracks from a little band called Parcels that was really, it's a bit disco-like, and that was kind of cool. I was really, yeah, really digging that. Um, and then, I don't know, like Patti Smith, that always works. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like there's, there's quite a few different things and it sort of depends on An the, eclectic I don't know, <laughs> the era, yeah. Yeah. Um, so tell us about some of your injuries and injury setbacks and how you've managed yeah. them. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a, that's a weird question because like I'm actually injured at the moment. So, um, yes, this I know. <laughs> yeah. So this is, this is weird because in my many, many years of doing this, I haven't actually really had, I think like, you know, physical people, sports people, um, performers, like you always have little, little things that come up here and there, like, you know, minor sort of stuff, or it might not feel minor at the time, but it's relatively, you know, manageable. And you, you know, you know, ways of doing that, you know, your practitioners to go to help you kind of, you know, treat it, you know, how to like avoid it, rest it, those sorts of things. Um, but, uh, I had an accident, earlier this year and I uh, tore my medial meniscus in my knee and this has ended up being like kind of a big thing because I had to have surgery and because the recovery in lots of ways uh, hasn't really gone quite as planned. So I've found myself dealing with something that's really affected uh, my ability to do my job and also I've kind of had an experience of how much being physically injured actually is really difficult on, you know, an emotional level and on a mental level as well. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. I feel like I'm learning a lot about my body that things that I sort of thought I knew about, but realized there's a lot more to it than, <laughs> than I kind of realized. So, you know, I think as, as a dancer, I'm fairly in tune with, with my body and understanding, you know, where its edges are and how it feels and how it reacts and responds to things. Um, but right now it's like, I'm, I think because I've been so focused for a lengthy period of time, it's coming up for like, you know, I guess about three and a half months now that I've been doing really, really intensive, constructed, planned prehab and rehab and I'm just learning how much more there is to know about all of these things that I in a way take a little bit for granted because I tend to think of the body really holistically but when you're dealing with an injury and you're doing rehabilitation for that you start to also deal very specifically with like you know each individual muscle and 
how each individual muscle works with the muscle next to it or so it's a much more broken down kind of way of approaching the body than I'm used to because um, I'm more thinking globally a lot of the time about the body and how it functions and I think too like you know I'm I often think about the the way your your intelligence is kind of a blend of the the physical the emotional and the intellectual and again i think of that as a global kind of holistic thing but when you're talking about an injury and you're breaking it down to like particular muscles and then you're kind of going i understand exactly what's going on with this but i'm still feeling pain and how do i kind of then deal with the all of the other stuff that comes up emotionally and mentally that doesn't feel like it's connected to that because I know what's going on, but I'm feeling all of this stuff that's really contradictory to it. So, you know, I understand why the pain's there. I understand why it's still there yet. I don't, uh, I don't necessarily understand or accept that I feel so bad about this, <laughs> you know? So there's kind of like, there's a really interesting process going on there of, of just realizing that a lot of these sort of, um, I guess, intellectual and physiological connections that that I understand in a particular way that there's lots of other weird variations on that that are unexpected for me so that's kind of new and it's kind of interesting and it's kind of really difficult sometimes but um yeah I think I don't know if you kind of go okay what can you get out of being injured I guess it's an interesting learning experience um yeah, absolutely <laughs> going Going slow is also something that's been really difficult because I think injury means that you, you know, you have, you have to just drop, drop it back, you know, and you have to actually go really slow and you have to be really patient. And I think that up until now hasn't really been a part of my, um, the way that I work, the way that I function, even probably my personality. Like, so that's really, really difficult, but it's also really uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it's interesting because you go, oh, okay. This I'm again learning about a whole lot of things to do with myself and the way that I think and feel that I don't know before having had an injury. So, um, yeah, going slow and patience. It's that they're re it's really challenging. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Especially if it's what what did you say you've been doing this for 20 years now and in that 20 years now yeah. is the time you've you've experienced now is the time major injury yeah yeah which is interesting too because you kind of go i don't know you you get to this point in life and i think for a lot of people you know whether it's just that you've been an adult for a certain period of time or whether it's that you've been in a particular job for a certain amount of time or you know, you've uh, been raising a family and then you get to the other end of a kind of phase of that or something. And it's like, there's, there's so much that's going on that's unstable and that's um, changing in terms of, I don't know, it's like, there's a lot happening on a personal level. And so when you combine something into that, that's something you've always taken for granted, like a body that's functioned, highly functioning for a long time, and then suddenly doesn't, it's like, yeah, you go, oh, wow. Okay. I realize now how much I've relied on my physicality as a thing to get me through a lot of other things. And then when that's not working, you suddenly go, oh, okay. 
there's like a whole lot colliding right now that's actually, you know, one of these things by themselves would be a big thing to deal with, but all of them all at once, you go, ooh, okay. And that's, that's a, I think that's a, it's, it's really, really challenging, but it's also, if you can take a step back from feeling what it's like to be in a really challenging time, then you go, it's also quite interesting when you look at this from the outside. Mm, yeah. Speaking of challenging things, 2020 has been <laughs> pretty darn challenging. Um, oh, man. <laughs> especially, especially for your industry. So yeah. firstly, how are you going with that? And then secondly, do you think... Uh, because of what's happened with this global pandemic that there, there are some changes to be had for the industry or is it just something that we'll deal with now and then once it's over, we'll get back to the way it was? Yeah, this is, it's really an interesting time because I feel like it depends on from where you're experiencing it. That has a big yeah. Uh, a big impact on how then people are sort of moving forward. So in some ways, like, um, you know, compared to, you know, speaking with a lot of colleagues that I have that live in other places like countries in Europe or in America, um, you know, or in Singapore or Hong Kong or, you know, like around the world, it's really different somehow, like how obviously how different countries are managing um, their response to the pandemic, but then also how the arts in general are sort of coping and being supported or not supported in different places is also really, really um, various. I feel like here in, here in Australia, in some ways, we are kind of having, I don't know, it's, it's, it's sort of the pandemic's been a catalyst for actually starting to talk about a whole bunch of things that were already there prior to a pandemic happening. So um, starting to kind of, you know, talk about the value of the arts in our culture and in society. And this is a conversation that, of course, is always going. But I feel like it's been a little bit sort of highlighted maybe for people that don't necessarily um, consciously engage with the arts. And so the, the bigger con conversation around, you know, what is the value of, of arts and live performance in our society? Now that it's kind of gone away from that, people are realising actually perhaps how important it is to them on a personal level. So I think that's helped the discussion of um, support for the industry. It's opened that up a little bit. It's made it a little bit more broader, uh, more uh, I guess, widely known amongst the, the population or something. So in a way, that's, I, I guess that's a positive. Um, but I think it's just, it's such an ingrained and long, like long-term kind of issue that is not necessarily really being actively engaged with enough. I feel like we're sort of still in a position where it's it's not, necessarily moving very fast it's just people realize that oh there's some problems in the arts or it's a difficult industry or it's been really affected by what's happening with the pandemic it was already kind of being really affected by the fact that it wasn't being invested in um, so I guess like you know moving forward again it kind of depends on where you are like in Australia 
being in South Australia, we are in a really fortunate position where things like live performances are starting to come back online. Like we are able to actually, you know, do live performance in some capacity. Um, whereas somewhere like Victoria, this still isn't a possibility and it's not going to be a possibility for a while. So the way that that is affecting people's ability to earn an income and also their, their ability to engage in their practice um, and then also kind of thinking about like the, you know, the bigger sort of issue of, you know, people who work in the arts, it's often quite an identity. It contributes to your identity in a big way. So people feeling also quite lost because something that makes up their identity has been taken from them. That's a really big, you know, a big issue. Um, so I think it's, again, it's a bit different depending on, on where you are. I think one of the things for me that's really exciting about the conversations that are happening at the moment are, are that people are kind of um, having some of the really difficult conversations about what does the future look like? How do we reimagine the future for the performing arts? How can this be, you know, a space that maybe like we start to break down some of the, the long held established mechanisms that uh, the way that arts are created, like artistic product is created and disseminated. Maybe some of those big structures, those big kind of heavy organisations need to be rethought so that it can be lighter and it can be more nimble and it can be more adaptable. Um, maybe that also means that we need to be creating room for different kinds of voices to exist we need to create some space we need to actually um you know the the industry as a whole needs to think about some of the bigger sort of social social issues that are you know broadly happening across the globe at the moment some of the bigger social conversations that are happening they need to also be happening in terms of how we how we imagine the future of arts in Australia, the, fu the future of arts across the globe, um, that it's kind of like the pandemic's a little bit a catalyst for, for change or an opening of the conversation around that, you know, what do we want it to look like? Um, how do we imagine, you know, leadership might change because of this? Um, what other models that don't exist yet can we, can we think up and start working towards facilitating like this is really I think it's really important work that that needs to happen and in some places I feel like the conversation is really moving forwards and then in some places I feel like it's more focused on oh good okay let's quickly get back to how we were because it's great that the pandemic's kind of disappearing quick let's just go back to the old safe version which I kind of go this is actually a critical moment where we can change and we can make the future be something that's more inclusive, something that's more open, something that's more meaningful. And, you know, that would be a really great thing to come out of what's essentially a really difficult time. Um, yeah. Amazing. You've, you've, you've touched a bit on this, but what has 2020 meant for you personally and professionally? <laughs> uh, it's the longest I've ever been in one place since I was like about 20. <laughs> How hard um, is that for you? Yeah, it's been, it's been strange. It's just been really strange. I think because, um, 
I think because I've sort of, I've wanted to try doing this for a while, like actually be a little bit stationary, but I kind of imagined that being stationary would allow me to do the things that I don't normally get to do when I travel all the time, which is sort of like, you know, connect more to a community and actually spend more time with people and, you know, invest in things in a long-term way in terms of the way, you know, that you, whether it's just seeing somebody every week and having a conversation with them or whether it's like kind of, you know, implementing a project that runs across a whole year (laughs) and involves the same people. Um, And really because of the nature of, you know, uh, a global pandemic and lockdowns and restrictions and this, that and the other, it actually means it's been a very insular, isolated period of being in the one place where um, I've also had a lot of other things thrown at me, like being massively injured (laughs) and having to deal with that. So it's been really like I, yeah, all the things that I can't, if you'd asked me that like, you know, 12 months ago, all the things that I could never imagine have kind of happened this year. Um, And that's been really strange and it's been really stressful. And uh, I guess on the nice side of things, it's been, you know, I've never watched Netflix before, (laughs) but I've actually like finally had the chance to see like a few really amazing series that people have been telling me about for years that I've never seen because I've never watched Netflix before. So well, I guess that's now you have to share <laughs> which TV <laughs> series you're watching. Um, at, at the moment I'm watching Ozark and that's definitely like, it's very tense and very suspenseful and the performances are brilliant. Laura Linney is amazing. Um, I also watched all three seasons of Stranger Things earlier, like when we first went into lockdown, I literally watched them back to back, um, kind of without getting off the couch for two weeks. (laughs) It's like, I've never done that before in my life. So that was really weird and kind of interesting and kind of cool. Yeah. Um, And the series is great. Obviously anyone who's watched Stranger Things, I'm sure would be like, yeah, it's, you know, the music is so great. And again, the performances are just really impressive. Is there something about being a performer that has a stereotype or, or something that, you know, about being a performer that you want people to know? Oh. Uh, I think maybe there's maybe, and I could be really wrong here, but I feel like maybe there's a little bit of a um, an idea around that, people who are performers are quite uh, outgoing or extroverted or, um, you know, there's a bit of that. But actually I think a lot of, like, there are performers that are like that for sure. But I also think actually a lot of, a lot of performers are quite, um, you know, sensitive and quite vulnerable a lot of the time and sometimes that manifests as being kind of extroverted or you know out there or that vulnerability allows them to access things that mean they can perform a whole range of different characters so they yeah there's a, there's a bit of a toll personal toll sometimes in in having that kind of range because it's yeah it yeah I don't know I think yeah maybe it's just that maybe just that actually like I think I think performers are are quite um, quite a lot more vulnerable than they're often given credit for. 
Yeah, I, I, there's, I reckon there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, besides the fact, you know, we're talking at a time like this when there's coronavirus and it's, it's almost like, um, I guess that's, that's the outlet as well. Performance is an outlet to release any of those emotions that you might not feel comfortable doing other, otherwise. Mm. Yeah, I think too, like a lot of performers also are, you know, because of maybe the nature of the the industry and, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how this goes in the future as it becomes something else or um, whatever is going to actually happen. I think a lot of performers are freelancers and I think people um, maybe don't necessarily always understand or or aren't necessarily aware of just how much work goes into being a being a performer because you're essentially you know you're probably like working six jobs at the same time because you're a producer you're an administrator you're a creative you're an athlete you know like you're all of these things all the time and that that's um that's actually an immense amount of work so like the fatigue that performers are always carrying because of the multitasking aspect of their job um, is kind of huge and I think the fact that you know again performers are often often appear as you know like energetic slightly superhuman uh, enthusiastic um, all of these kinds of qualities that it it actually sometimes um, yeah it covers something which is like I think generally performers are also like, you know, doing an insane amount of multitasking and dealing with a huge amount of accumulated fatigue. And that's not always obvious from the outside. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And yeah, you've, you've hit the nail there as an audience member of of a lot of different shows, you, you see the, the physicality of a performer, which is, which is insane, especially for someone like yourself and contemporary dance where, like you mentioned before, that, you know, you you have to have that sort of foundation, that base of strength, mobility, flexibility and, and whatnot. Um, but you're, you actually need, you're, you need to get like every sort of movement out of your body that you would never in your mind train for. Like you, it's, and it's not until (laughs) you're put in a situation where you have to learn choreography to do all this incredible stuff and just throw, literally throw your body around. I think it's, it, it is just incredible. And, um, I have so much respect for performers and, um, if anyone wants to check out a piece that, you have done that I've recently looked at, which I just think is incredible and um, really shows, you know, what I've just said in terms of making your body do some incredible things from, you know, looking incredibly fluid to then all of a sudden rigid and then you're throwing yourself on the ground and then you're back up like in an instant, like it's just incredible. And, and, and that piece was called a thing of hair and skin. And I will put the link in the show notes for people to check out because um, it's really some impressive stuff. Gabrielle, thank you so much for chatting <laughs> with me today. I have one more question. Sure. And that is, what is your message 
to aspiring performers? Oof. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if that um, message is different now, like during this period, but like, <laughs> let's go big general. <laughs> uh, I think it's, um, you know, curiosity will do you a wonderful service as, as a performer, as an artist, as a person. Um, and whatever that means, whatever curious means to you, follow that, whether that's, you know, reading, talking, going out and seeing things, um, experiencing, listening and absorbing the world around you. All of these things I think are really, uh, for me, almost the most important resource I have as a performer. That's incredible. Thank you so much for chatting with me today and good luck for 2020 with your injury and beyond. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I I will be back to see you soon. (laughs) (laughs) What an incredible woman. What an awesome chat and such important subjects we covered, especially in the likes of year 2020. I think the issues of identity and vulnerability and overcoming challenges it's just, it's just been such a predominant aspect for everyone. And Gabrielle said it perfectly, you know, it's, it is challenging and it takes such an emotional toll, but I guess sometimes being able to take a step back and try to look from the outside in, if you can get that sort of perspective and, and help navigate through these tough times and challenges, it, it can, it can make it um, that little bit easier for you. I also find it really awesome just to have such a, an insight to what it means to be a performer. It does, it sounds incredibly glamorous, but uh, but there's those things that as an audience member, we don't really see or, or quite understand. So getting getting to know the, the behind the scenes type things of how long things take and, and, and the toll it takes on the body as well. Like I mentioned in the interview, I think dancers are absolutely unbelievable athletes because you know in in a normal sport you you practice the skills necessary to perform a job whereas you know there's there's that foundation and base that you need as a dancer you know the strength the agility the mobility and flexibility you can practice all of that but it's not until you've got specific choreography that requires you to do some pretty insane stuff with your body uh you know you're only only practicing that when you're needing to perform that so it's 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 such an incredible thing for for these dancers and performers to be able to do and i just have such admiration for them if you loved this episode let me know i'd love to know what you're uh, what you're enjoying out there thank you so much for tuning in as always it's such an honor to have you listening in to the bodies built better podcast let me know if there's anything that you want me to cover if there's anyone you want me to chat with because everything we do here is to serve you So until then, have an awesome day, week, month and year and here's to a world of bodies built better.